I saw uh, Phantom of the Paradise last night in theaters. What was it like? How was it? It was good. It was fun. It was funny. Like there was somebody I could tell there was somebody behind me like singing along to all the songs. So it was like mm-hmm. it was very chill. It was in one of the like balcony theaters at, yeah. <clears throat> at the plaza. So so very small room and like there was somebody like kind of humming along behind me. So I was like, all right, there's some like fans here. All right. uh, but the guy who was probably like being the loudest, who was like laughing the loudest and whatnot was it was seeing it for the first time. Like I heard him say. Oh when he came in that like some a friend of his had told him that it was his favorite movie and then he like saw it was playing so he was like uh-huh. oh i want to go see that um but it was funny because when they're uh in the scene when they're unveiling beef uh-huh. and they've got the like uh death label like thing like superimposed over yeah, the podium yeah, this, yeah that was supposed to be swan he, yeah, he was swan's... like he was like why does it look so bad and the <laughs> the woman behind me goes because led zeppelin sued him and i was like oh she's she's the one that's she's been saying along to everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she knows she knows yeah, she gets it <laughs> because led zeppelin sued him yeah the movie had three lawsuits uh it was there was the led zeppelin one and then there was the estate of the writer for Fan of the Opera, I believe is what it was. Mm. And then I think one other one then blanking on. But there are three he had three lawsuits. I gotta say what I movie. came what I came away with seeing it in theaters with the kind of the mix this time was I feel like uh when I've seen it previously at home in the bomb sequence, I've been very preoccupied with like the bomb of it all and like the guy being like, Man, there's this ticking in my head, man, it's ticking. Yeah uh i was sitting closer to the right side of the theater this uh-huh. time watching it and so i was closer to the mix of like the juicy fruits version uh-huh. of faust and that's uh, hilarious the the <laughs> lyrics to that i'd never just like listened to the lyrics of it before it's very yeah. fun yeah carburetors uh, man <laughs> yeah it's it's a, it's a great I, I, it's so funny because i feel like before we showed it i mean we're not the only reason i feel like there's something in the ether i guess with it of like uh the movie kind of gaining an audience again because we showed it and the next night uh black lodge which is a video store in memphis was showing it and then new beverly's mm. showing it and then and the plot it was the plaza was showing mm. it so it's yeah. like it's popping up all of a sudden and i'm happy to see that because i think mm-hmm. it's one of one of his de palma's most underrated films and now getting the second uh second third fourth life i'm not entirely sure like it was I talked to Paul, the editor, Paul Hirsch, about it. He was just like, yeah, it's kind of wild. It's 50 years later, basically. And this movie still has a staying power. Mm-hmm. And like, and I don't know how it was there for y'all, but like at, at our screening, we, we, we sponsored it at the New Art. It was like probably over half the people were like early 30s and younger that were seeing it. It was mostly yeah, I'd, young I'd crowd. Say it, I'd say it was, it was around half. Yeah. There, yeah. there were probably like, there was a couple of groups of people in their like late forties to fifties. And then a lot of, a lot of young people. That's also, I feel like kind of the, the plaza's yeah. vibe in general. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, I keep saying that that's, that's like uh movie audiences are getting younger. I mean, you just shared something with me about letterbox and I'm like uh, on TikTok, and like, I'm just seeing more younger people be more active in going to the movies. Mm-hmm. is the thing and i'm seeing also more we're seeing more repertory stuff pop up like i just saw that that uh amc is doing a whole week of get out uh again doing a whole like new sh- more screenings of get out mm. uh you got stop making sense coming out through a24 they just uh neon just did old boy 
and all and I just saw Perfect Blue. There was kind of like a, a little run here in LA on Perfect Blue. Like there's more and more of it. Mm-hmm. And, and and I wonder it's like with with studios kind of taking like not showing some of their movies now because of the strikes like do you start seeing a weird rise of repertory stuff i'm not sure um and because you're seeing younger people get involved in movies and seeing movies they never got to see on the big screen they can actually see mm-hmm. now finally on the big screen yeah um yeah, yeah um but yeah um yeah i saw perfect blue uh this past weekend i never seen it before great film that's that's a wild one man it's a wild one how i it's funny talk about fan of the paradise my first reaction when i got down i was like wow if brian de palma met, ever made an anime it would be <laughs> perfect blue yeah because it has a lot of similar themes that he deals with in a lot of his movies yeah, yeah, yeah. um but yeah so but that's fan of the paradise yeah sorry sorry if you dealing missed- with something, something a little bit nicer today yeah, something a little nicer for sure. Uh, but uh, I'm Brand Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton. And this is Nation Podcast. And this month we've been talking about movies about being stuck in a small town, but not being someone who's like stuck and has lived there their entire life. Kind of about this outsider who comes in and in some ways, and it depends on the genre, could fall in love with the town, but also it could be something else completely. But yeah, what, what all we talked about, Thomas? with last week with groundhog day and kind of our the foundation of it all yeah last week was an interesting one because i feel like we started with the most stuck anyone's ever been in a small town um stuck there for years and years and years uh but yeah we talked about you know this idea of kind of like local color and having Mm -hmm. to get these kind of like supporting characters and uh like with groundhog day i think a lot of the films within this subgenre are going to be about somebody from the city who needs to learn kind of like small town values, uh, whether they need to like slow their life down a little bit, or they need kind of, you know, genuine connections or something like that. A lot of, a lot of this, uh, subgenre is about kind of instilling small town values into people. And we'll Mm -hmm. see, uh, we'll see some, uh, as we go through that, that are the opposite of that or kind of make, make plays on that. But, but a lot of times I think that's kind of the when you get the we'll be talking about Doc Hollywood on the Patreon. But when you get that kind of uh, Doc Hollywood type movie, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they just and it, and it's, you know, it's even become the like Hallmark Christmas movie standard. Yeah. Of, like, that's I'm a what... big time New York executive, but I have to go to this small town to do this. And Ooh. now I'm going to fall in love. Almost everyone I pitched this month to they go. So you're just doing all Hallmark Christmas movies. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> You're doing you're doing like uh, welcome to Dollywood, you know, where uh yeah, which is a, there's multiple Dollywood movies. Uh, enough about that. Let's talk about today's movie, Thomas. Yeah, today we're we're talking about one I've been trying to get on here for a while. Been trying. Took me a while to get Brandon to watch it in the first place. And it didn't take, me, it, it take me that long to watch it. Okay. And then took me a couple more years to get it on the podcast. Uh, yeah. We're talking about 1983's uh, local hero do a brief summary a junior oil exec from texas is sent to a remote scottish fishing village to buy the entire town for an oil refinery but little does he know the townsfolk are planning to play him for an even bigger play payout mm-hmm. we've got for the cast we've got peter regert uh burt lancaster dennis lawson peter capaldi it's written and directed by bill forsyth produced by david putnam and scored by mark knopfler mm-hmm. um so Brandon, I, I 
obviously peer pressured you into watching this one initially. <clears throat> um, were, you, were, you, of, were you here? Or were you back? Were you in Atlanta at no, this point? No, I was already back in Atlanta. So a friend okay. of mine, uh, right when, when Criterion first, when the Criterion channel first yeah. came out, I remember the a, a very good friend of mine who's seen like a lot of movies was I, I was just like you got you have to help me come through like they they, they yeah. Criterion Channel just like premiered and it was like here's all these movies and that I was, was like, I that, don't know that, that year of cri- living Criterion or whatever it was yeah, yeah 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 and so I was like I was like you gotta give me like recommendations to figure out how to maneuver through all of this so it was the second month of the Criterion Channel they did a playlist of Burt Lancaster movies and he like gave me a couple recommendations off off of that but he was like you really need to watch local hero and he said like he said when you put it on you're gonna think that this is a knockoff of doc hollywood but it came out before doc hollywood and i was like (laughs) all right cool um so it's just one like i went home that weekend and i watched it and i was like this is just i was just immediately taken with it i think it's just the the atmosphere and the comedy and the the characters and and everything so it's one that's become like a yearly rewatch for me especially when it starts to get a little cool it's like an autumn movie for me because there's so many good sweaters in this movie yeah so it's like anytime there's a little chill in there i'm like it's kind of like it's the opposite of like anytime it it gets it starts to get warm like in the spring i'm like it stays confused time like everybody wants some time as well yeah Yeah. both both of those yeah uh and and then once it's once it starts getting a little chill in there, I'm like, I gotta break out the sweaters and I gotta put on local hero. Well it's like Banshee of Inishir and I think it has some a great sweater mm-hmm. game as well. And I thought about this movie a lot too. Just in terms of like Island Scotland, two very different places, but in terms of the, the landscapes and kind of the the town and everything and how it plays a part. Yeah, I, I'd watch because yeah. you told me to watch it. Uh it was also on Edgar Wright's Thousand Parrot Movies list, which I know I've I've been going mm. we've been going through the past six years or something like that um and i i'd seen gregory's girl not mm-hmm. long before this is what it was so i was very intrigued by bill Forsyth's kind of sense of humor mm-hmm. and all and really his his like character creations if that makes sense in terms of just how he yeah. creates a character it's it's quite fascinating like Gregory's girl is one we we all when we watched it in a group we kind of talked about how like every character had some sort of like uniqueness to them mm-hmm. like the the main character's best friend and they're all in high school so a like coming of age kind of love story in high school character's friend is like really big into cooking this like his mm-hmm. guy his best best guy friend and as you're always seeing him just like in the home ec room alone like trying to make something and you're like that's just his like little journey that he's going on the entire movie has nothing to do with the overall plot of the film but he's just doing his thing and i think with this one it's a similar thing where you have like the guy who just keeps painting all the different boat names changing changing the name changing the, the boat, names yeah, yeah or, over and over again like everyone kind of has their, their own little like they're, they're, they're very authentic and real in their in their own the world is the mm-hmm. thing um i mean i watched it because you told me to to do it as well and and I, I i mean first off and this will go into favorite scenes as well later it's it's one of the more it has some of the most majestic images i've seen in a movie mm-hmm. specifically in a, a, a i don't say an american movie but an american type movie uh because mm-hmm. you have a lot of american actors in here it takes place in Texas for a good bit of it, but there's just something just so magical about when he's in Scotland is the thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the way the sky looks, it's just, it's just gorgeous. So it, it, it's a very, it's a movie that has a very, 
unique pace. It, 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 it sets up, I know you showed me Pauline Kale's review and that's kind of how I felt about the stuff. And we'll talk about more later of how like it sets up a lot of things that could happen, but they don't take those turns. Another mm-hmm. movie would do is yeah. the thing. And we'll break that more down later in scenes. But yeah, I, I was very fascinated by it. It's a very, it's like I said, it's very much like a warm blanket is, is mm-hmm. the thing. I'm talking about the winter aspect of it. Um, and it's one, I think too, we've been doing this a lot lately where we pick a movie we really love. We want to cover and we base the whole month around that movie. And I feel like that's, <laughs> I feel like this whole genre that we're doing this month is based around you want, or we want to do local hero basically is the thing. Oh, believe me, Brent, if I could have done a week and told you to watch the entirety of, of Northern exposure, I would have done that too. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get the, my, yeah. Yeah. My mom was like, you watch that show. I was like, I didn't watch that show, but, but, <laughs> but they did and they, and they loved it. So they were, yeah. Nice. My mom, yeah. Nice. Uh, unfortunately it, it ended because um, oh, what's his face was leaving to do quiz show. That was the the main guy. Oh God, what's his name? Can't remember now. He's the um, he's the like investigator in in Quiz Show. Oh, like the main um, character. It's not Rob Mar- Morrow. Yeah, it's Rob, Rob Morrow. Morrow. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, he was the lead in in Northern Exposure. All right, let's get into local hero. Okay. So you mentioned Gregory's Girl. We talked about Bill Forsyth. Yep. Uh, local Hero is really kind of the branch-out of two men, though. Uh, Bill Forsyth, who is uh, Scottish, mm-hmm. and who got his start in film making industrial documentaries. Look, we talked about that last wow. week. Wow. <laughs> yeah, with, with the writer of Groundhog Day. Yep. Uh, he had had some success with his first independent uh, comedy, which was called That Sinking Feeling, which was a coming-of-age story set in his native Glasgow uh, which was cast entirely with members of a local youth stage company. Uh, the other man involved in the creation of Local Hero was English producer David Putnam, who was an ad man who had started producing films in the early 70s and was making a, a name for himself by the end of the decade. He had worked with some up-and-coming directors, including uh, Ken Russell on Listomania and Ridley Scott. He produced The Duelists. Oh, okay. uh, and then he landed his biggest hit in 1978 with Midnight Express. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it looks like he's in that kind of run of like uh, the like the British filmmakers that we've talked about previously coming over into America. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, he, t- he like Tony like, Ridley. He like did their big movie and then they went yeah. to America. He also yeah. did. Uh, he also did uh, Foxes. Yeah, I was like, t- Foxes, which Adrian, Adrian Lyon episode. He also did Bugsy Malone, which is Alan Parker, who was also in. Uh, who also did Midnight Express, who's also in that group of, of yeah. English directors who came over here. Interesting. Yeah. So in 1979, Forsyth met with Putnam and asked him to produce his second film, which was going to be another teen comedy in Glasgow called Gregory's Girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, Putnam passed, but the two men stayed in contact, and both of their projects that they worked on next went on to become big successes. Gregory's Girl was kind of an indie comedy sensation in the UK and in America. did fairly well in the US. And Putnam's next film was the awards darling uh, Chariots of Fire. So after finishing Chariots of Fire, Putnam decided he wanted his next project to be a comedy. He thought that, he said, after the release of Blazing Saddles, American comedy had just become overwhelmingly zany. He said, mm-hmm. you know, at, at, at a certain period, like, zany was like a top, a type of comedy, uh, but then it had just kind of become the norm in the 70s, and he wanted to make something that harkened back to gentler comedies. 
he had come across a news article about the oil boom in Scotland in which American oil companies were buying up centuries-old Scottish farmland to tear it down for oil refineries. And he found a story specifically about a small-town accountant who had convinced local farmers to band together and negotiate as a single entity with Texaco, which led to them all coming away with a much better payout. Mm-hmm. Putnam liked this idea for a comedy and knew that the small-town Scottish setting would be perfect for Forsyth. The inclusion of an American main character would open up the film to American stars and American studio money as well. So he sends the news story over to Bill Forsyth. Forsyth reads it and he likes it. He likes the opportunity to satirize not only the big city oil exec who's trying to kind of, you know, ruin the nature of Scotland, but also the idea of these Scottish townsfolk who are just so eager to sell out their homeland for, for mm-hmm. you know, a cash prize. He also said he really wanted the film to portray Scotland as more than just some mystical place to solve the Americans' problems. He said yeah. he wanted this to be the anti-Brigadoon, which for <laughs> anyone who's never seen Brigadoon is about Americans coming over and getting trapped in like a mystical, ancient version yeah, of Scotland, Scotland that solves all their problems for them. Yeah, and they leave. They, they, and they, they, yeah. they leave at the end? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then also is, you know, the inspiration for the first season of the show, Schmigadoon. And the the name. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So as Forsyth is working on the script, he read an interview with Burt Lancaster in which Lancaster was asked what the biggest regret of his career was. He said it was never doing a real comedy. Uh, So Forsyth said it just immediately clicked in his mind that the Happer, the Texas oil baron with a passion for astronomy he had been writing about, was was Burt Lancaster and he mm-hmm. said he just wrote the rest of the script it just was Burt Lancaster in his head once the script was finished uh, Putnam started shopping it around to studios in both England and America Putnam had a first refusal deal with Warner Brothers after Chariots of Fire but they took a look at the script and promptly refused no thank you <laughs> but with the uh, with the success of Chariots of Fire and Gregory's Girl uh, Putnam had no problem getting into meetings he just said everybody turned him down and they all said the same thing uh almost everyone asked him if there was there was some way they could get more conflict in the script they said there's not anyone likable there's not anyone unlikable and audiences were gonna want some sort of villain and some sort of conflict Uh, he also said in almost every meeting uh the studios told him we'd be interested in chariots of fire 2 or in gregory's girl returns but we don't really want local hero wow I mean, it's funny. You kind of mentioned this uh, after we talked about Groundhog Day. It feels very similar. It's like, we got to find a reason of why this happened. We got to explain. We got to have some sort of conflict here, like to understand it all of why care, why the audience will be interested in it. Let's be like every other movie we've done. (laughs) Well, Putnam was said he was pretty shocked that things weren't materializing for the film. He thought given kind of the momentum that both he and Forsyth had, it was going to be a sure thing, but he spent several months spinning his wheels, but then everything just kind of clicked at the 1982 BAFTAs. Forsyth won best screenplay and was nominated for best director for Gregory's Curl and Putnam won best picture for Chariots of Fire. He was presented the award for best picture for Chariots of Fire by Burt Lancaster Wow! Had won, uh, he won Best Actor that night for Atlantic City. Oh yeah, Louis Mal film. Yeah, and uh, so Putnam took the opportunity backstage to get Lancaster's contact info and tell him he had a script for him. 
on the way back to his seat with his Best Picture award, an, uh, an exec from a smaller British film financier called Goldcrest grabbed him and said, do you still want to make Local Hero? Putnam said yes, and they said, then you've got it. Wow. <laughs> if they had waited a day, they could have backed out. You know what I mean? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like... We got to get these guys right now like, is, is the thing. <laughs> wow, these guys, these guys both just won. Big won. winners. Let's go. Yeah. So once they had production money, then the distribution deals poured in almost immediately, especially yep. after word got around that Lancaster had read the script and had said that he loved it. Mm-hmm. So 20th Century Fox England agreed to distribute in the UK, while Warner Brothers circled back to the project and picked it up for American distribution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with bigger studio money came more studio oversight, and the studios immediately balked at Forsyth's pick for his lead. Forsyth wanted Peter Riegert, uh, who was best known as one of the leads from Animal House, but who had built some art cred uh, by being a kind of co-star in Joan Micklin Silver's Chilly Scenes of Winter. And it's really good movie. He's really good in it as well. She's a, she's a director mm-hmm. I really I really like. John Hurt or John Hurd mm-hmm. uh, gives a great performance in that movie. Uh, that speaking of Criterion for Local Hero, Hero, that just recently got a Criterion release as well. Chili Season yeah. Winter. So check it out if you can. The studios told him they wanted a bigger Hollywood lead, suggesting Henry Winkler. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm a big Henry Winkler guy. I love Henry Winkler. But when somebody tells you I want a big Hollywood lead, I'm, Henry Winkler's not the first He's not the name, but I wonder when, when's Night Shift? Night Shift's a little bit after, I think. So yeah, this is like eighty-two. This is all coming together. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, night shift is eighty-two. So that makes sense of why I go with, they say Henry Winkler. Mm. It's like Happy Days has just ended, I think, or is still going on. Actually, it makes sense in the moment. He's not someone <laughs> I think of of like big eighties. Yeah, uh, and they say we want a movie name. star. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think I, I, I don't think it's a terrible pitch. It's just. I think it's now we know him more as just like a T as a TV actor for the most part and not a lead in a movie is mm-hmm. the thing. So it's, it's not, I'm not, I won't, I won't say too bad, but I, I get it. <laughs> it, it. It's, it's, it's not your first guess Yeah, is the thing. Uh, but Rieger, or Forsyth stuck to his guns. He said, it's gotta be yeah. Rieger. And the studio said, okay, we will accept that as long as you lock down Burke Lancaster. At this point, Putnam was about six months into negotiating with Lancaster's team. (laughs) Six months. The message he kept receiving was that Lancaster loved the script. They were like, Bert loves this. He's so excited to do the movie. You just have to pay his $2 million fee. And he Putnam said he would counter it with something lower and they'd say, nope, $2 million. That's the fee. Um, this was a little difficult to pull off as Goldcrest had given the movie a 2.5 million pound budget. So <laughs> that is, that's just, that just is the budget. They're like, I don't I can't just give Lancaster the budget. That's, uh, and here's the thing. You wonder how much is that's Lancaster saying that, or that's his team saying mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I will as we just talked about, or I don't know if you saw the tweet going around, uh, on Twitter. Gianni. Yeah. Of, of, mm-hmm. of, uh, how he wasn't told about a part that he actually pre- previously played, mm-hmm. but his team didn't tell him that they they were offered. He just assumed they didn't want him again, and it became this whole. And we talked this with Mad Max, where it's like Charlie Theron talked about how like she was never told that by her agents that she was up for Mad Max Fury Road or whatever in the mm-hmm. in the early late nineties. Basically, she's like, I never knew that. 
and that's mm. that's when agents get fired is basically what it is. <laughs> i'm not saying that's what happened here but I, i'll give lancaster a bit of the doubt a little bit with here in terms of these agents uh putnam had asked forsyth a few times like is there anyone else that we could that we should be reaching out to for happer but forsyth said he had written the part for lancaster and he couldn't change the script he was like this is the script if i went with somebody else i'd have to rewrite it because it's just it was written for lancaster yeah eventually putnam pleaded with forsyth to think of he said please think of this situation as the film's director instead of the film's writer and consider that burt lancaster's fee might kill this movie forsyth agreed to think it over that night and he called putnam the next next day saying this is both bill forsyth the director i've tried talking it over with the writer but he won't take any of my calls Putnam uh, eventually admitted to Warner Brothers. He finally, he didn't want to admit defeat, but he finally came back to Warner Brothers and, and said, listen, Burt Lancaster's probably not likely. We can't afford his fee. It's almost the entire budget of the movie. The next day, they call him back and they told him that they made a first air TV deal for the film with CBS for $2.25 million, covering Lancaster's fee and then some. Wow. Putnam likes to joke that they were the first film to go into day one of filming at a profit already. <laughs> But given Lancaster's immense fee, the studios were okay with Forsyth casting local actors for many of the other roles, which was, you know, a passion of his. That's what he had done for his other films. Mm -hmm. uh, but most, most notable of the Scottish actors cast was Dennis Lawson, who was a prominent stage and television actor who also had a recurring role as Wedge Antilles in the Star Wars films. So probably had the most clout of, uh... of, any, of, the, of any of the Scottish actors that he cast. I did but, not realize until this moment that was the same guy yeah never knew that but Forsyth's probably best discovery in this film was a local stand-up comedian and frontman for a pop band in glasgow named peter capaldi when Forsyth offered him the role capaldi politely declined saying he just did not know how to act Forsyth told him <laughs> that was perfect for the role as for the look of the film, Forsyth confessed to Putnam that he had never much cared about the aesthetics of his previous two films beyond blocking, but he would really like local hero to capture the beauty and mystique of the Scottish coast. Putnam set about to get Forsyth a proper DP to collaborate with, ultimately landing on Chris Minges, who had shot Ken Loach's beloved film Kess in the 1970s. Mm. Very, very classic British film. Yeah. Uh, for the locations of the film, Forsyth thought he had written a pretty simple film. It was, he's like, yeah, it's fine. It's one location. It's just a fishing village with a big sandy beach. Fortunately, the location scout came to find that that does not exist in Scotland. Most of the picturesque fishing villages were on the north coast of Scotland, while the sandy beaches were all on the west coast. So the mm -hmm. town of Pinnon, Pinnon, uh, which they had picked to be you know, to portray the town of Furness only had a rocky beach uh, out front. Forsyth wouldn't budge on the sandy beach, saying that the beach and its resident Ben really were the heart of the movie. And so two locations were set over 100 miles and four hours away from each other, oh, uh, while the beach man. location in the beach location was set for Morar, which was over 40 miles away from the nearest hotel as well. <laughs> This, this 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 feels like monty python the holy grail story where like john cleese is like screw that i'm staying at a hotel in, in london like or, or mm -hmm. wherever, they're, wherever they're at no 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 because <laughs> everything else is out in the middle of nowhere yep let's move into uh let's move into some favorite scenes this one's a little hard to do favorite scenes because i feel like with this one maybe not it's it's what i love about it is again it's the humor of bill Forsyth in this movie and mm -hmm. how it just runs throughout the entire 
movie with the characters, with the scenarios, and just like prime example mm-hmm. is like the opening scene or one of the opening scenes because the opening scenes I think uh, Regert and Traffic, but yes. how we introduce Burt Lancaster when mm-hmm. they're ha- in that conference room and Burt Lancaster's asleep at this like basically meeting or whatever, but you know he's the the top dog because. No one interrupts him. <laughs> they start whispering the they meeting. Start, and which I thought was hysterical because what I think is so great about it, Forsyth takes what would be a just a general exposition scene mm-hmm. of just like, we got this stuff here, we got oil here, we got this, this. It would be such a boring scene. And yet he makes it by, okay, so on the coastline, <laughs> we're going to send, we need to send someone there. Oh, we're going to send one of our top guys. We gotta find some of our top guys. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful location. We're gonna turn to it's it's like it was like we're gonna do an oil refinery. It, it establishes the entire like what the plot, what the story of the movie will be. And it's all done just a funny way. So it makes it memorable, is the thing. Mm-hmm. And it makes yeah. you listen to it if that makes sense as well, where it's just mm-hmm. not like, uh, here we go, just another like boards, like here's information. It's done yeah. in a very unique way. So right there. I love that the way we kind of establish the tone of this movie um, mm-hmm. with Peter Riegert. I think again, the movies, the movies just an odd little, little film, um, especially when kind of to, to determine or to showcase the difference between Houston life and then Scotland life. And also not just that, but also like mm-hmm. American, American, like capitalism and the kind of like, what the American dream is in a weird way mm-hmm. and how I, and how the focus of work ends up making you isolated from the world around you. Like the simple fact that all of his conversations in his office through a glass window is on the phone on to the someone, phone someone else in the next like room. Staring at, yeah. He's staring at. It's so odd. It's I, just, love the, I love when he calls the girl to like ask her out to dinner and she's like, who is this? He's like, it's Mac. I'm standing right behind you. <laughs> yeah. And she's and, and and she just like he's one guy I'm leaving for town for a little while. I wanted to see a want to get a bunch of friends and I are going out. And she's just like, nine no, just like just <laughs> not even because he's like right there because that that glass separates them enough. They have no feelings about one another is the thing. Mm-hmm. And then again, you have this moment where it, after that it shows him at his apartment alone trying to get his ex girlfriend to come by. This was my last night, you know. Want you to come get some of your stuff. I wanted my uh my camera case back that you put your makeup in, and but it just shows kind of like oh yeah, he's this top guy at his work. He's very successful, but he's really not like happy in any way. Mm-hmm. It's like we're gonna talk about later in our Patreon stuff, but Doc Hol- Hollywood does a similar thing where it's like, and a few of these films I noticed, it's like they're they're not hated, like say Bill Murray is, but like. They're not loved, is the thing. Mm. It's like I think in Doc Hollywood, one of the one of the doctors says to 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 Miles J. Fox when he leaves, he's like, "Yeah, I hope you never come back." Mm-hmm. Like because it's like because they're they've been living this life, this job in the in this life, but they actually haven't been like living a life. Is the yeah. thing. Well, that's what with Mac, he has like zero interpersonal connections. He yep. only has phone relationships with people and i mean that's why he keeps saying like ah i'm a telex man i could i could finish this whole deal in a day on the on the machines yeah and he's just like i don't i, I don't want to talk to people face to face i just yeah. talk on the phone and and this whole movie ends up being about how he has to but it's yeah and we'll get more into it um but what's the favorite scene for you 
I love I love kind of the introduction of Happer. Happer's such an interesting character, especially you know with this the the ridiculous therapy that he's in. You know, it's it, it's such an interesting idea of like a, a CEO. It's you know somebody who's so crippled by being surrounded by yes men his entire life that he's had to hire somebody to shit talk him to like just kind of change change things up a little bit and then and then it's you know it's he's you you know it, it's defying every expectation you have for kind of this big CEO character he's he's actually this like very passionate man who's just in love with astronomy and, and that's that's yeah. what he wants to be doing with his life it, you know he calls him in and you think he's gonna talk about this big deal and how important it is and he's like yeah doesn't matter look at the sky look at virgo yeah um and that's what that's something i i what i love about the tone of this movie and and, and forsyth in general but i think he's definitely doing it here is like the tone of the movie the the humor of the movie is entirely ironic like so much of the humor in this movie is just derived from from the the irony of it like like the the, the scene i think of is like when when they first get to the town when they first get to furness and and mac and um uh what's uh what's peter Paul, paulie's name Paulie's name um david it, starts with a d yeah danny Dan, danny 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 yeah. Mac and Danny are like walking on the beach and they're just like talking about oil, like how much they love yeah. oil. And it's like this beautiful beach and they're just yeah. like mm, plastic. Yeah. Detergents. What, what would life be like? Yeah. What would life be like without oil and plastic? And yeah. And it's just it's, so much of this movie is like, it's just steeped in irony, but, but the tone of the movie itself is, is so sincere. Yes. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the humor is ironic, but, but there's nothing ironic about the tone of it. Um, which is which is what i love so much about it so so you know with happer it's, it completely defies your expectations but it but he's treated you know if, if maybe he's a little eccentric but like it is completely sincere that is his passion and mm-hmm. he wants to pursue that well like there there's a scene um uh later on a little bit after that talking about the idea of like the irony of it is when danny and and mac are like walking and they have those jets kind of always going by mm-hmm. and max just like yeah one of those jets it really kind of spoils the whole thing <laughs> it really spoils the area yeah it really spoils the area and i was like mac you're literally here to destroy this entire area you're like yeah, it really it really it really spoils the whole beauty of this place <laughs> these jets going by I, occasionally. <laughs> there's there's so many good beats in this and 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 i think Peter Capaldi's got some great ones, and he and Regert, I think, have such a good rhythm with each other. And once Dennis Lawson gets introduced to it, he does as well. But I love the when they meet at the airport, and he says, "Can I give you a wee hand with those?" And then he just takes his coat, <laughs> just takes the chicken jacket, <laughs> and Regert has like three massive bags yeah. he's carrying. <laughs> and they've got another great line when they're driving to finesse, uh, and they hit the rabbit, and uh danny says you know should we put it out of its misery should we like hit it with something heavy <laughs> matt like, says you just hit it with a car <laughs> with two tons of steel what are we doing here <laughs> two tons of metal well i think i think that's out of the question <laughs> um and yeah and it's like they sleep in the car and then we talk about dennis lawson as gordon um just a fascinating character mm. and and especially just the relationship that him and mac have like i know i think you talked about when you when we when i first watched it we kind of talked about this how like 
in another movie, like Gordon and Mac become like rivals in some way. Yeah. And it ends up being like, they just end up like developing like a friendship between the two. Mm -hmm. That's like, they're almost like debating the money because they have to. Yeah. When he's like, uh, when they're at the party, we'll get to the Kaylee later. But when he's like, come on, Mac, haggle with me. (laughs) And Mac's just like, "Eh, no, no. But yeah, I, the, just Gordon is such a, and, and Dennis Lawson as Gordon is one of those roles that it's just like, it feels effortless. Like it just yeah. feels like it flows from him. Um, yeah. And, and it's such a fun character. You know, he's the, he's the, he's the innkeeper. He's the accountant, the, account, the town accountant. He's the bartender at the inn. He's an occasionally a, a cab driver if they need yeah. it. Like, but I love that moment where he's like, he's supposed to meet this accountant. Oh yeah. He's right next door. I, I can guarantee you he'll be there like in fifteen in fifteen minutes. And Doesn't I love just just the intro. You know, he, he sticks his head out the window, and they're trying to check in. He's like, "It's check ins at, at eight, seven on the fishing season. It's not the fishing season. Oh, yeah, yeah, breakfast, breakfast is at eight, seven fishing. It's not the fishing season." And they're like, "Well, can we check in anyway? We have an injured rabbit." And he's like. Oh, I'll go, okay. go check this out. And he comes down and he just opens the door and he says, "It was never locked." <laughs> just shows you that the, the the town they're just they're they're safe and everything. They're and like, and everybody, you know, it's it's everyone comes in prepared with like that first meeting. You know, Max come in. It's like these these small town yokels. I'm gonna you know take them for a ride. Yeah. They you know what we come to find out and Gordon has the you know after they talk it over and they leave and Gordon's you know jumping on his chair like we're gonna be rich rich yeah. you know the, we, <laughs> we come same, to find yeah. come yeah. to find out the whole town has knows that this is coming they've been tipped off and they're more than willing to sell the town they just want <laughs> they just want the best money. deal they're yeah. yeah they're gonna pretend like they can't they don't want to sell it so that they can drive the price up yeah it's it's i love the scene when they go to meet the priest so like oh the church that's a really it's really tied to the town and they go and meet the priest and like the entire town's in the in the actual <laughs> uh, cathedral and the father says news travels fast around here <laughs> and it's the scene a- after that when like they're talking and, and Rieger, i think that's when the 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 plane scene happens but mm-hmm. they're they're kind of talking and he's just like looking off at it and danny knows that he's she's the entire town mm-hmm. running out of the yeah. <laughs> that's another time he drops out. i'm really a telex man yeah <laughs> just does not notice that anyone's anyone's behind him it's great um and then the scene <laughs> that's so sad in a way it's it's the it's the cooking the rabbit scene it's <laughs> it's, it's the like they're they're, they're they're eating. They're, they're eating the dinner, and they they say what it is. I can't remember what the what the line that tips Danny off. He just goes, "Oh my God, it's rabbit!" And they had the, <laughs> that, and, and Mac has had this hurt rabbit that he was taking care of, and it was kind of the first. I guess he actually like the only connection he had legitimately mm-hmm. at, in his life at that point in time. And they're and Danny's just like, "Oh my God, it's rabbit!" And then <laughs> Mac just throws his stuff down, and just sits there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And Gordon's just like, it's, oh, is it? Is this? Is this my rabbit? He's like, yeah, yeah. His, his leg was broken. It was in pain. That's the, the the best. There's so you, many you good. Clearly, little... you, can, you can clearly see it. Yeah, look at the leg. It's yeah. It's when when Stella comes, out, he calls Stella out, and she's like, "What's wrong?" And he says, "Mac didn't like the rabbit." And Danny goes, "He loved it. That's the problem." 
He gave it a name. We gave it two names. <laughs> and he's just sitting there. And Stella's like, I'm so sorry. Was it good? Like, it was, it was like, was it like yeah, it was. Was it wine sauce? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, wine sauce. He's like, yeah, I used a little, little white wine thing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, cook rabbit here. It's <laughs> Rieger and and Lawson and Capaldi just all mad like totally different energies all three of them to a yeah. scene but it, it it just goes together so well well and then you you introduce the Russian into it and <laughs> it gets even better I feel like the couple yeah. of scenes where it's like the four of them is is so much fun but yeah. um I do really like this stuff with with Marina the the mm-hmm. the mermaid yeah. um and you know every everyone has kind of the they're kind of eye-opening you know yeah. with 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 mac it's it's kind of it's gordon and stella really but it's you know it's much more of the town whereas yeah. with, with danny it is it's marina kind of teaching him about uh you know marine life and the potential of the the, the area mm-hmm. and, and nature and and whatnot um yeah and that brings a point because i like those scenes too but with, with mac I, I was trying to be very aware of this this time when watching it because because the whole idea is that Mac's going to change o- over the course mm-hmm. of the movie. He's going to have probably the biggest change of any of the characters. That's the whole point, mm-hmm. especially of this type of genre we're talking about is the town's going to have some sort of effect, negative or positive, depending on what genre we're in. But with this kind of type, it's going to have some sort of positive effect. And the moment was when Mac sees the, well, right when he meets Ben, mm-hmm. when he meets Ben, sees his life ben knox who's who lives who lives on the beach is a beachcomber that just kind of takes up all the stuff and builds kind of a hut and mac meets him and learns about like the stars and what he sees in the sky and then mac sees the meteor shower mm-hmm. and he's just floored by these be- by the beautiful sky something he's never really seen in his life and that's going to become a reoccurring thing mm-hmm. throughout this entire movie but if you notice the scene after he sees that sky, he stops wearing a tie. Yeah, and he's he's and he in stops a, shaving. He stops. Sh- he starts stop shaving. You don't notice till later, but he stops shaving. He's not mm. wearing a tie. He's wearing a he's wearing a dress shirt unbuttoned at the top and a jacket. But also he's now he knows like Andrew who's working on the roof. He's like, hey Andrew, mm-hmm. or he stops Danny from walking out in the street when the bike's going by. He's now becoming more accustomed to town. And as we start going, I even seen after that, he's now in a sweater over the dress shirt. Yes. So like, good. And and he's his 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 he's becoming more like you can see the stubble more. It's you know, five o'clock shadow. Um Capaldi does it a little bit too. Dean is a little bit, he goes back and forth, but he also starts at that time, once Mac does it, he starts wearing like a sweater over a dress shirt and everything um but the big thing you get the 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 watch the i feel like that's the the ultimate transition is uh when he's he's looking for seashells and he takes his watch off and leaves it and then you just a little bit later as he's headed home you cut back to the watch being like drowned in the tide and you just hear the beeping underneath the water is the thing Mm -hmm. and yeah and and he's he's becoming more in tuned with the with with this with the town with with Mm -hmm. the environment um and again, too, it's like, again, him and Gordon start having like a stronger relationship where they start. It's now like they're aware of what they're doing, but they're now just like having fun with one another is the thing. And then you have the kind of gala they do uh, gaily. Or whatever gaily. Yeah, the gaily they do 
Um, and I, again, again, talking about Villa Forsythe's character kind of creations is the random like punk rock girl that's yeah. in the town. Yeah, it's so uh, funny. There's so many good moments. I one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is the two like old old men talking about how rich they're gonna be, and it's like one point five million. Like, <laughs> strange days, strange days, and then they just both start like doing a jig. <laughs> It is the best little moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's and, so good. And and then like and then like after all the all the the, the 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 again him and Matt him and Gordon kind of back and forth and he dances with Stella becomes closer with Stella. Um, and then he, it's the when he goes out to call. Uh, he oh, sees yeah. this guy, and he goes out to call uh, Happer call Burt Lancaster, and it's the Northern Lights, and he's just like the sky. The sky, oh, the sky, it's so beautiful. I love it's so that. Beautiful. The, the, the way, the cut of that, when it, you're on, you know, Burt Lancaster with the Happer with the guy, you know, he's, he's out on the window and he's yelling at him and you only, you hear the start of that, that line mm-hmm. through the phone. But he's like, yeah. Oh God, it just went red <laughs> all over. <laughs> and we cut back to him and like Gordon like comes in drunk, like in the phone boot with him. And he's yeah. like, tell him it's the, it's the Northern light. It's the Aurora Borealis. It's the I Aurora just got Aurora. some news. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and then, and, and Happer's just like, oh, I haven't seen the Aurora Borealis since 1953. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it's a beautiful sight there. Mac McIntyre. I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> and then he decides to come. He decides to come out. He decides, uh, yeah. He decides, yeah. He decides to like, I'm gonna do the trip because again, and you kind of talking about with his character, you kind of established like, yeah, he he has his like psychiatrist who's just like basically berating him all the time, like, wow, this is the best set. We this is the best session. He starts prank crank calling him and everything, mm-hmm. just like, hey, Happer, you're, you're a terrible son of a bitch, Happer. You're a son of a bitch, Happer. This is really better than our formal sessions, Happer. This is really great. Um, but he mentions like how like he and it's the idea of kind of the the correlation between Mac and Happer well, like Happer like has the, like he loves the sky, but I know at one point his, this, the, his, uh, berater psychiatrist, brain psychiatrist kind of like, well, why not, why not get married? Like, why not have like a family? And it, it is somewhat sad where like McIntyre's like home and not McIntyre, but Happer's home is literally in his office. Like he, he mm-hmm. opens up a door and he goes this whole, this totally different design layout. Mm hmm. And he's cooking eggs by himself at night, and it's like he's lonely. Listening he's a, to he's astronomy a, radio shows. To, yeah, he's just he's just a lonely individual, and your fear is that Mac is on that same path mm-hmm. when he's back here, and that's what with him being in Scotland, he's getting off that path, and that's mm-hmm. what kind of leads to like the bittersweet ending of of the movie is that he come he has come back a changed man but it's now like he realizes what he could have outside mm-hmm. of this world and you don't know what he's gonna what he's gonna do you can't it that, that the the kind of ending shot of the movie it it leaves you wondering is it is he always gonna be there in some way even when he's not there like he's, his mind mm-hmm. will always be there basically yeah it's an interesting final image uh yeah. with that uh, where because again it cuts back to the town after he's arrived back in Houston. It's the phone, the phone telephone area. He, you hear the phone ringing, mm-hmm. um, and it could be like, is yeah, is, is he always calling back? Like not not 
calling back in a literal sense, maybe, but a figurative sense of always wanting to be back there. Um, but yeah, when Happer arrives against that, when the, when the whole, all the stuff with Ben at the end, I really love where like, it feels like Mac and Gordon have reached a spot and then they realize that Ben actually is the last person. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're all together trying to, to pressure Ben into selling. And, and I think that's, you know, I've, I've read a couple of interviews with Forsyth where he was like, I really wanted to make it clear that like everyone was in the wrong here. The people. Yeah that wanted to sell this town that were so eager to give up this town for a, for a Maserati were, were also in the wrong. And I think that's where it really comes through is when you get this like angry mob that's about to descend on, on Ben's house until, until Happer rolls up. Yeah. And it's because that's the, and then and we would just, it would have them like start beating him up or something, but they actually never get to confront him. Mm-hmm. It's just Lancaster shows up and that's like, all right, he's going to come in and like really, mean business and I, again talking about the comedy when he's talking to danny he's like okay mcintyre and he just thinks mm-hmm. he's like You're, I, I need a piano in. I, I need a big big hall for a speech the church maybe get a piano in there you know for mcintyre i'm not mcintyre well where is he i'm paying him to be here where is he at he's right there <laughs> and and bert and, and 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 happer is just like disgusted to see him by how he looks with he's not in a tie yeah. he's 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 not maybe clean shave. shaven maybe try yeah, maybe to shave. shave yeah maybe try to shave um any other i mean again i love the moment when happer tells him all right we're gonna do all stuff here you can you can leave mac yeah, you, back you have to get back get back to immediately right and Riegert's like reaction just his acting in that moment again is so like it's so it's kind of it's heartbreaking where like he now realizes mm-hmm. oh no the 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 journey like the dream world that i'm in is now over and i, I have to go yeah. back to reality and he just kind of you can see him shut down again because yeah. when he's got that scene with Gordon where he's like Gordon's like you really don't have to pay for the hotel and he's like no no I want to I don't even know if this check is good and Gordon's like oh you know go say goodbye to Stella and he's like no no I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go like I'd yeah. rather just just cut it off now and leave I love one of my favorite there's there's so many good little like local color moments yeah. in this one but um I love when the guy the one guy like sees him leaving and he goes is that the yank up there in that whirly bird and he says yeah i think so and he says oh bugger it i was gonna say cheerio because <laughs> <laughs> they all they all like grew to like him and like he was mm-hmm. he became a part of the town in a way is the thing i uh my absolute maybe my my favorite moment of like background physical comedy i think ever in a movie happens in this movie and it's the morning after the Kaylee where like the uh, uh, Ivan and Mac are like sitting out on the water mm-hmm. and there's a the, the drunk guy that's always like in the phone booth mm-hmm. he comes he comes walking by and the town dog that's always kind of around yeah comes walking in the other direction and the guy he's really drunk so he's moving really slow he like sees the dog coming and he like bends over to pet it and the dog just goes right by him and the guy kind of like like slowly follows it going by and then like waves it off and like keeps walking (laughs) (laughs) that's funny um yeah the only other scene i want to say is Uh is after the kaylee in the in the bar with drunk mac and and gordon i i don't i don't normally like people playing drunk in movies but that's a great drunk scene yeah Uh, i'll be a good gordon gordon i'd like to i'd like to trade places with you You any any payments on the car i own it i own it straight out and stella i want her to stay here with me yeah (laughs) i love her gordon yeah how is she's the most she's the most beautiful woman i've ever loved (laughs) 
We'll have to talk to her, Mac. I don't. I don't know. Because um, <laughs> that's the, again, that's the whole other bit that, that Forsyth adds. Like Gordon and her and, and and Stella are just having sex all the time, <laughs> all the time. Let's get some on-set life. Okay. Peter Riegert, who traveled to Scotland for the first time to make this movie, said that he didn't really even have to act because he was so taken with the country, uh, much like Mac was. It sounds like the cast all got along really well. All of them speak very fondly of their time shooting. Many of them say they spent long nights at the pub after filming had wrapped. And the only person who wouldn't join them at the pub was Forsyth, who was busy planning the next day's work. That's fair. Forsyth's style from his previous films was something like improvisational blocking. He liked to bring the actors to the set, kind of do a couple rehearsals in place day of, and let them find the movement themselves and then move the camera around them. That was the way he had kind of done it on on the streets of Glasgow, making his first two films. This film proved a little bit more challenging as he and Minges needed to plan things out a little bit more to get these wider exterior shots that they had planned on, especially with the natural lighting that they wanted to capture. The actors still found Forsyth to be very generous as a director, often listening to their ideas and instincts, especially Burt Lancaster, who Riegert says would just arrive to set already knowing what he wanted to do, like what Happer would do. And he would just tell Forsyth and his scene partners, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you follow me. And (laughs) they would just be like, okay. Uh, he said he remembers they were doing the scene like when he's gotten when he's walking the two of them up the hill after he's gotten over the helicopter and he was like I'm gonna point here and you all should look here and then I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna look back and Forsyth was just standing back there like yeah do that guys this is Berlin Caster <laughs> Capaldi remembers Forsyth often telling him to do less as Capaldi's acting chops mm. weren't very well refined uh for one morning scene, he remembers the first take that they did. He came out like he walked out of the tower or the inn and he just does like a big yawn and like stretches as he walks into the frame and Forsyth called cut. I was like, why are you doing that? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And then Capaldi said, well, I, I want to show everybody that it's morning. And Forsyth said, we're going to have a different shot to show the audience that it's morning. We don't they don't need to see it from you. And Capaldi was like, I never even thought of, I'd never done like camera acting. I hadn't even thought about like what the shot would be before this shot it just never even crossed his mind the most difficult scenes to film were many of the magic hour beach shots as it was a four hour round trip to the beach and magic hour only afforded them at most 40 minutes worth of shooting oh god it was while trying to navigate the time constraints of the setting sun that Minges suggested they shoot happer's helicopter arrival in a single tracking shot instead of the montage that forsyth had planned and, and it's that becomes gorgeous. Like, yeah, it's, it's like the it's, most iconic shot of the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like otherworldly because it feels like you're, you mean it's like you have these all these individuals walking up in the at, at like at dusk at one, as it's dark as magic hour uh, across the waves, and then you just see this light in the distance. Like to to plan that out is just is is insane to me. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's crazy to you know think about. exposure and f-stops and all that kind of stuff because they they had a documentary film crew uh on set for pretty much the whole production to make a making of documentary and you watch the footage of the documentary crew filming them film that scene and it's like it's all like night like you can barely even make people's faces out and then you look back at you know the way that men just shoots it and it is that like perfect magic hour like twilight everything's starting to fade out but you can still make everything out perfectly yeah wow 
Putnam notes that the only disagreement he and Forsythe had on the set was that Putnam begged Forsythe to write the scene in which Happer and Ben meet in Ben's shack over ownership of the beach. Perhaps he wanted just to get the most screen time out of his investment in Burt Lancaster, but he said he just needed to know what happened inside that shack. Forsyth told him that he couldn't write the scene simply because he didn't know what those two men would say to each other in there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a logical (laughs) reason not to write it. Uh, Forsyth likened it to the choosing of a new pope with the rest of the town waiting outside to see the smoke sent up, having no idea what was actually being negotiated inside. Yeah. In that making of documentary I mentioned, which is on the it's on the Criterion mm-hmm. uh, Blu-ray, it's also on YouTube. You can look it up. Um, they filmed a lot of interviews just before the release of the film, and Putnam says not having that scene in is his greatest regret in making the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty years later, a reunion special was made and aired on British television, and Putnam recounted then saying that Forsyth had made the right call to not mm-hmm. include that scene. After a brief trip to Houston to shoot on location, the film wrapped on its nine-week schedule with relatively little scheduling or budgetary issues. Mm. Moving into post-production, though, Forsyth and Putnam learned a lesson that far too many filmmakers have stumbled upon. I think probably you and I have both come across this before. Uh, Forsyth and Putnam had gone into principal photography knowing that their script was too long, but Mm. their budget allowed them to shoot all the scenes in the script. They decided to shoot the entire script instead of editing it and then cut it down in post. But then they found when they got to post that the pacing is is built for the script. And when you start making cuts, it messes with the pacing. Yep. Ultimately, Forsyth says overall he's glad that he got to shoot the script as several scenes that he would have cut from the script you know if he had made an edit to the script Mm. uh some of those scenes that he would have cut ended up making it into the final cut it was a lot of the kind of small dialogue moments amongst the townsfolk but putnam says most of the cutting had to come from the first act specifically the houston stuff yeah and he thinks you can feel an imbalance to the pacing because of it Mm. i think it kind of works because houston feels like more kind of jarring and fast-paced anyway yeah it's fine yeah when it came time to score the film, Putnam wanted to recreate his immense success with Vangelis's anachronistic but iconic synth score for Chariots of Fire. He started reaching out to kind of pop and rock artists to score the film and learned that Mark Knopfler, the lead man and songwriter for the band Dire Straits, was interested in composing for film. He had never done it before, but he had expressed interest in trying it. So mm-hmm. Putnam reached out. Forsyth was hesitant, uh, but he went one night, uh, Putnam gave him a lot of Dire Straits records and he took them home and he came back and he said, I liked one song, Telegraph Road, so I'll meet with him. So, I liked based, one song. <laughs> yeah, based on that one song, they met and uh, they hit it off and Knopfler began working on a score that would blend kind of modern rock with the sound of Scottish folk music. Mm-hmm. Some audience testing was done for the film. Uh, Forsyth was very skeptical about getting audience notes. uh, But he said when he got the comment cards back, he saw that most of the people who are interested in the movie and that had notes to give had written them out like very well written, very well communicated. While those who didn't care for the movie didn't seem to be able to write their thoughts at all. Uh, And he said, knowing that we had appealed to the literate portion of the audience was very appealing to me. I could make comments on test screenings with, with, <laughs> how you, with, with reading people's stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the rough cut of the film was tweaked to account for some of the audience notes before it was shown to Fox and Warner Brothers. 
The resounding studio note back was that the ending in which Mac returns home from his Houston apartment with nothing but some photos and some seashells was too sad. Mm. Uh, that was that was the original ending. So they offered money for reshoots to get Mac back to Furness. They wanted him to go back. Uh, Forsyth says one exec even asked him if they could reshoot to add in a nice local Scottish girl for Mac to go back and settle down with. Uh. Forsyth finally... Go by the punk rocker. That's what we should do. <laughs> uh, Forsyth finally said, listen, if I can give you a new ending without spending any money, will you compromise with me on like not like sending Mac back to Furness? So they agreed, and Forsyth and ed- editor Michael Bradsell went back through their footage, and they found an unused establishing shot of Furness with the phone booth in the foreground, mm-hmm. added in a ringing phone sound effect, and ended on that shot and the studio mm-hmm. said okay that's all we needed we needed the, the door to be like opened just a little bit <laughs> and that and they were on board that that the, the town's calling for him or he's mm-hmm. calling for the town yeah they were like just don't leave us in this in this depressing apartment <laughs> i don't want to be in houston texas apartment but, <laughs> but here's the thing it's such an 80s apartment like mm. wood paneling that blue tile like a countertops they have just like mm-hmm. chunky countertops that's like super high i mean that that's that's so, it's so sometimes it's so weird like when you, like, i go through like on twitter like zillow gone wild and you mm-hmm. see these like houses that have not been changed since the 80s and you're like wow i know people still <laughs> could like have that in their house and that's like an example of that i was like i wonder if someone has tile like that still in their home <laughs> And the Happer apartment too is like that, like orange red yeah. tile everywhere. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't see a lot of tile like that any, anymore. No. 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 One of one of my favorite parts of the making of documentary, and I, I highly recommend checking it out, um, mm-hmm. is almost ten minute sequence at the near the end of it that is just in the twenty in Fox's marketing team meeting to decide how they're going to market this film. <laughs> Oh Lord! And I have to say, I'm very proud of them. They sidestep a mistake that we come across far too often on this podcast. Like early on in the meeting, they're like, "We don't want to misrepresent this film. To we don't want it to come off as a like a joke a minute laugh riot slapstick comedy." Yeah, they said we're going to set unfair expectations. We're going to draw in the wrong audience. They're not going to like it, and then that's going to be bad word of mouth for us. Which, how many times have we come across that on this show? So I know Crimson Peak comes to mind, but yeah, um, even even seconds, it was like we didn't know how to do it, so we marketed it as like a horror film, and mm-hmm. like seconds isn't really a horror film. And that's what happened. Some somebody yeah. sees a, that's exactly what happened, as we said with Crimson Peak. Like people saw it opening weekend. Yeah, Mother, you remember Mother? Mother people yep. saw it opening weekend. They thought it was gonna be a horror movie. It wasn't a horror movie. They tell all their friends it sucked, and then nobody sees it. Yeah. Um. So that's that's something they spend a lot of time with. They end up uh, auditioning several posters before they finally settle for the one. There's one that's like kind of cartoonish, and they're like, "Nope, yep. that one's too too silly. We're not doing that one." Um, and then they settle on the image that they ended up using of Mac walking the beach in his in his business suit, and uh, they're discussing like which publications are we going to target, like who's our target audience, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I especially appreciate the exec who recommends she's like, one of the things I think we could target is, uh, is presenting Dennis Lawson. Like he, as he's a, he's got, cause he had, um, the, uh, 
last Star Wars, I think, was coming out in 83 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Return of the Jedi was 83, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, Dennis Law, he's got a new Star Wars movie coming out. Let's, like, push him as, like, a sex symbol. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Give him that sweater. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, but it's really fascinating. It's 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 they're very good. They're very good. I'll, I'll hand it to them. They they know what their message should be, and they're not trying to. They 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 keep coming back to their like. If we sell this to the wrong people, it's gonna it's gonna bite us in the ass. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, more people more people should should have that. Into aftermath, local hero rolled out to an excellent critical reception. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Ebert, who had been a champion of Gregory's Girl in America, uh, called this one a small film to treasure. He said, Forsyth has the patience to let his characters gradually reveal themselves to the camera. He never hurries, and as a result, local hero never drags. Nothing is more absorbing than human personalities developed with love and humor. Some of the payoffs in this film are sly and subtle, and others generate big laughs. Forsyth's big scenes are his little ones, including a heartfelt, whiskey-soaked talk between the American and the innkeeper, and a scene where the visitors walk on the beach and talk about the meaning of life. Mm Mm-hmm. Rarely one to agree with Roger Ebert, Pauline Kale also loved Local Hero. Yeah. She said, this young writer-director has invented his own form of poetic comedy. His style is far more personal and aberrant than that of the popular British comedies of the 50s, which in general were made from tightly knit, cleverly constructed scripts. Yeah. Forsyth seems to go where impulse and instinct guide him. He's an entertainer filmmaker who gives free play to his own sense of the ridiculous and his own sense of beauty. Mm-hmm. Local Hero isn't any major achievement, but it has its own freeform shorthand for jokes and it's true to itself. Yeah. It's a, sne- by... it's, a, it's, a, it's a sneaky film. It's a sneaky yeah. film in the jokes, is the thing. Yeah. Uh, bolstered by word of mouth, the film performed very well on limited release in America and ultimately brought in about $6 million in the States alone. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, uh, the film was less well received in the UK. Uh, some Scottish critics said it reinforced Scottish stereotypes to a modern audience. And while Warner Brothers raked in the American box office earnings, Goldcrest only grossed about half a million pounds return on investment. Wow. Wow. So they, they didn't lose money, but. They lose money, but yeah. They didn't make as much money as Warner Brothers made off of it. Yeah. Was it Warner uh, Brothers or Fox? Which, which? Fox Fox did the UK distribution. Gotcha, so that gotcha. was at Gold, Goldcrest. That was what Goldcrest got back after okay. Fox's deal. They got back. Uh, gotcha. Like 430. Okay yeah uh the baftas recognized the film that year though with seven nominations uh best supporting actor nomination for lancaster as well as nominations for best cinematography best editing best score best screenplay and best film while forsyth did win for best director what was what was Uh, 84 uh well putnam still believes that they should have won best picture because they lost to educating rita with michael kane and julie walters i know of it never seen it and he is he's i've seen somewhat recent interviews with him being like ah, we should have won we were clearly the best picture well i think to, tootsie was the only american film yeah, nominated looks like dustin hoffman won for uh best actor oh i'm sorry he tied with michael kane for educating rita as well hmm. um Educating Rita is, Rita is the big one. Julia Waters won for Educating Rita. Here's a wild one. Best actor in a supporting role who beat out Burt Lancaster. Denholm Elliott for Trading Places. Oh. Wow. You know who won for Best Actress in a Supporting Role? 
Jamie Lee Jamie Curtis. Jamie Curtis for trading places. Wow, BAFTA winner Jamie Did Lee Curtis. Did not expect that. Uh, Got a BAFTA yeah. long before her Academy Award. Yeah, wow, there we go, Brits, I guess. <laughs> well, oh, Flashdance won Best Editing, just so you know. Just want to throw oh, that out there. Thanks. Adrian, Adrian Lyne. Uh, the legacy of the film has only grown, though, and despite the tepid reception in its homeland, it is now widely received as the greatest Scottish film of all time. Uh, years later, Mark Knopfler and Bill Forsyth would reunite to write a musical adaptation of Local Hero. Uh, the musical premiered in Edinburgh in, in 2019 and was well-received and scheduled mm -hmm. to move to the West End in London in early 2020, but was unfortunately canceled what due happened to there? COVID. yeah uh it finally returned to the west end uh in fall of 2022 uh oh, and wow. it has most recently been performed at the film's 40th anniversary festival in banff scotland this past spring there was an anniversary like like a celebration of the movie oh yeah they had a huge uh oh, they great. they did a um they did a like a government sponsored program where they would project the movie on like different building. They went to like the different locations it was filmed uh -huh. and you could go to like the different locations and watch them like projected on like wow. the wall of like the main street. And, and yeah, they, they, they love it there now. It I just took them a little while. I don't know how you do this, but I would love, I don't know if you do this a book or whatever, but like the towns that were affected by movies that you just forget about, you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. I think of like somewhere in time, with like, mm. is it Lake? Uh, oh yeah, Mac Mackinac, 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 Mackinac Island. Yeah, yeah, Mackinac yeah. Island. Where it's just like, you get to that town and it's you're you're just like immediately like everywhere is somewhere in time and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they literally it's it's yeah they've just they've held it there the entire time and like they still have celebrations every year for that movie but like that movie is very rarely discussed. Mm -hmm. uh is the thing you know I'm, I'm gonna start prepping for a book i'm gonna just talk about these towns i'm gonna visit these All towns right. yeah that's what i'm gonna do burbank for back to the future of course um, <laughs> yeah so let's let's talk about what worked in this movie yeah i mean one thing that we don't usually say like as as the leading thing but the movie's tone mm -hmm. is what really works because it's a, it's a very unique tone it's a very it's a hard tone to pull off for one mm -hmm. and to not be boring basically it's it's like uh, there's something about like I don't, I don't know i don't say it's magical realism but it's this idea of just no, like it is yeah yeah it's it's you've kinda, got like you've got a you've got a mermaid you've got this uh i mean you know it's even there and like the the two yeah. kind of female characters in the movie are stella and marina and it's all about the the stars and the and the yeah. water like yeah, yeah there's there's definitely uh, yeah. a magical realism here um and, and we you know, see, even, even with them like drive, driving through that fog to get to yeah. you know it, it is kind of you know even in being the anti-brigadoon i feel like he does kind of pull that's true from from this idea of like they've they've made they've crossed over into this magical place and then and then like we said with kind of the the irony that runs throughout this movie it just doesn't play out in the way that you think it would it's funny you bring because I, I forgot because that, that's what happens in Brigadoon is it is like a fog they go through I believe is what it is mm. the beginning Gene Kelly goes through yeah um but yeah well yeah I, I, I we keep saying mermaid she's a scuba diver but you find out she has like webbed feet is the mm -hmm. thing it's very it's, it's so yeah. I, I I don't think I ended up putting this in the script but like Putnam had described her as a mermaid in the in the script uh -huh. and so like like makeup came to him and they're like all right so like for these flippers and he was like no 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 it's like 
he specifically he said he wanted the idea to be like a realistic like what if if mermaids had continued to evolve until they were like almost humans he was like what what'll that look like and they they ultimately just landed on like okay she has webbed toes but like <laughs> he always he always intended for her you know to be to be a mermaid in some sense so you're saying she's like she's kevin costner in Waterworld's great 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 grandmother yeah she lost has, the gills yeah he also has web where he got he they, they evolved in the gills but he oh, okay but she has uh he has web feet in in those movies or in that mm-hmm. movie should be should be multiple movies though if i'm um no the tone of it's great i I think the cast is great again the the kind of writing of it all of of all these characters having their unique job unique kind of character elements but also the jobs against it's funny all of them have like multiple jobs it's like i left the part and since i left the part when like when they're talking to mac and he's like so you also work at the bar right he's like yeah yeah, yeah. what other jobs you do i have i I just do this job you only have one job (laughs) like everyone around the town just have they just all pitch out. in, yeah, and then everyone raises that baby that you don't know who. <laughs> Max, like, oh, who's baby? Who's baby? And they all there's just always someone pulling the baby along. <laughs> um, but yeah, the tone, the direct, the Bill Forsythe's direction's great. Um, again, the characters are great. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's it's a really just like again warm blanket of a movie is the thing. Yeah, so, and I. I th- I think um, something else for me, especially as we're getting into this subgenre, what I what I really love about this one is like we like we said a lot of times in this in this subgenre, it is about you know the person the person coming to the town either is like the city person needs to learn small town life, or the small town people need you know city progressive modern thinking or something like that. Um, and I yeah. love that this one is is bo- everybody needs something. It's been it's really Ben is the only person who like doesn't need to learn anything in this mm-hmm. movie. You know, it's it's they they need to get out. They don't. You know, it's it's not like he. It, it kind of plays on your expectations that Mac's gonna show up and be like, oh, small town life. And they're like, yeah, we love small town life. You gotta preserve it. And he gets there, and they're all like, get us the heck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so it's it's not. It doesn't fall into that because I think a lot of films in this subgenre are going to be like, oh, the small town is small town's the way to be, and you yeah. like city folk need to need to learn it. And um, I do love that this one's kind of like no, nobody's happy in like their situation that it's in, and it's more just about like yeah. getting out of your. It's not about like small town versus big city. It's about human connection and and yes. you know, money's it's- money's not going to do that for you either. Um, it's a mental it's a mental thing. It's it's yeah, yeah. it's like what you accept and what you. Yeah, putting yourself out there, all these different things. It's like, mm-hmm. and like I said, the human connection. It's like with 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 Mac. It's like early on. It's like he's he's looking for a cheap thrill. Is kind of the idea. It's not really about connecting in in any way. And that's the thing about like even the the joke stuff about him and Stella. I think why he feels that why he kind of says this because that's the first time he's like had a, I think a connection, true connection with a woman. It's like it's funny they put a. He he. One of the pictures he puts at the end of the movie on his board is like it's it's him, Stella and Dennis or uh, and, and and Gordon. Gordon. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Nothing of Danny, but of Gordon, Stella, and him, and then mm-hmm. of just and just the the town or the land and everything. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, what worked again? I think it's it's wild. Yeah, you know, it was funny for me 
I, I saw Gregory's Girl after seeing this one. And, mm-hmm. you know, Gregory's Girl is very, like, down and dirty and kind of the, the, the shooting style of it. And yeah. this is gorgeous. This movie is, yeah. is incredible. And so it was funny to, you know, doing the research for this one to see that Forsyth was, like, very much... That was like a very conscious decision where he was like, I've never really made like a pretty movie before. I want this one to be pretty. And mm-hmm. it is. It is. It is amazing. Anything else? I mean, we, we, we hit cast in general. Lancaster yeah. is, is yeah, a blast. Lancaster. Yeah, 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 Lancaster is so much fun. Capaldi for his first time out the gate. Is, yeah. Is great. Lawson, get, like we said, is just kind of effortless. So. I, I, again, I love uh, Lancaster like in his like... Um, with his telescope and everything just like at, at night alone in his like own like world basically uh is the thing i thought that was great um all right so does anything not work um i don't know how i feel about the like or how far it goes at least with the the like uh berating psychiatrist <laughs> It goes a while. It goes mm. a while is the thing. I don't know. That mm. was one of the kind of the kind of jarred that was just like we're, we we keep going with this to a point where like I think it's like a, a a one one or two joke thing. I think it goes like four times, five times mm. maybe. Um, that it, it, it I just quite don't understand why it goes on as long as it does. Um, it gets it gets pretty broad. It's kind of the most broad kind of yeah, and humor. it feels when odd he, when he's the rest, on the yeah. When he's on the outside of the building, putting up the the sign, Happer, you like mother, yeah. It's like it's it just feels. I'm like it, it feels like Gregory Gregory's girl has like seeped into like local hero in those moments. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, that that was my big like jarring moment. I think the other stuff, it's like you could you could, I think nitpick if you want to about. I think I think maybe more uh focus some of the female characters is the thing oh, yeah. that, that was my note that's i want your, more that's, stella that's, that's that's there's more stella um she's, she's, more she's the, great more I, the punk the... rock more the punk rock girl like yeah. the, they're kind of all on the on the back burner it feels like of those few scenes go, go ahead go mm-hmm. we're gonna say yeah no stella stella is so much fun especially in the rabbit scene and yeah i guess you know marina i guess is i said ben's the only one who doesn't really have anything to learn in this movie but marina doesn't either you know marina yeah. comes in like very sure of herself and her goals and 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 you know she just kind of is, she's there. Is right she's right from the beginning yeah she's there to be a dream is mm-hmm. is kind of the thing yeah because at the end like it's like when he's like we're gonna do it. We we we're gonna do the marine uh, uh, laboratory, uh, mm-hmm. as Danny says, and like she's just like swimming off in the in the in the in the um, off the beach, and he walks and swims towards her, and she's just like, it, she's supposed to be a dream. It's mm-hmm. kind of the whole thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, they just feel like they're kind of sideline where I think you could play more if Stella was that important to Mac. You could have had more things with Mac because. Mac and and her basically, yeah. or or the trio of them of oh, her, yeah. Gordon, Gordon and Stella. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Or, yeah, yeah, that was mine for sure. Is is more Stella? I think she's great yeah. in this. Yeah, I uh, agree. All right, film facts. Okay. Uh, the film was so beloved that tourism spiked to the town of Penan where it was shot. Mm-hmm. Like this, this can go in your book. It's going in my book. Uh, so many tourists showed up asking where they could find the phone box from the film and were di- disappointed to hear that it was just a set built for the shoot and it was torn down when the film was finished. 
so the town ultimately in 1989 installed a working phone booth in that same spot so that people could could come and take photos and use the phone and so it's actually there. It. It's actually there still. It is actually still there. And in, in 2021, the Scottish government embarked on an initiative to deactivate any remaining active phone booths in Scotland and convert them into other uses, including def- a defibrillator station or a tiny lending library. But after an uproar from local hero fans, the phone booth in Penan was spared and left active. So you Hell can still yeah. you can still make calls from it. That's great. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. I'll see all the pictures of people. um and it's the exact same spot wow well i thomas when are we going to painting that's what i want to scotland yep this is is a trip we gotta do at some point in our lives uh the version of mark Knopfler's score that plays over the end credits which is probably the kind of main version of the theme and it's titled going home on the soundtrack has been adopted as the theme song for the newcastle united football club which is Knopfler's hometown team and it is played at, at every game Oh, cool. Uh, You might have been yelling at me as you're listening when I talked about casting choices at the beginning because it is cited multiple places online that Michael Douglas was also up for this. Mm -hmm. But um, I watched three documentaries to prepare for this script and and Putnam and Forsyth never mentioned Michael Douglas in any of those. So I don't know where. But they mentioned Winkler is what it was. Yeah, yeah, they were all yeah. They were like they want the studio wanted Winkler hard, and, and we fought him on it. What was Michael Douglas doing at time? Oh, Braveheart. No, um, when we were talking about Mel Gibson, it was like <laughs> what, was, what was Mel Gibson <laughs> doing ni- to these in ninety five? Oh, 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 oh Braveheart. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. I don't Douglas. Uh, yeah, I don't see Douglas, and I, I, that's probably a name because he'd only done chi- he didn't si- China Syndrome in seventy nine which was a big movie, but he, he'd done a few smaller things running. It's my turn, which was, which was written by the lady who wrote, uh, Jill, um, um, uh, Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote dirty dancing. Hmm. Ro- he didn't have his breakout to romancing stone. And that was 84. Hmm. So I don't, yeah. so, so, so maybe, wouldn't have been a name yet. Yeah. I, I don't think it'd been a name yet. I don't think it'd been a big name yet at that point in time. Yeah. I don't, yeah. At that point, I don't think he's any bigger than Peter Riegert. Um, I agree. At the film's wrap party, the crew presented Burt Lancaster with a full Highlander outfit. In response, Lancaster promptly stripped down to his underwear to put on the kilt and wore it for the rest of the party. From the stories I've heard of Burt Lancaster, that <laughs> checks out. Go listen to our Sweet Smell Success episode because that will yeah. make you rethink of how uh, <laughs> Burt Lancaster, honestly. Um, in 1992, Scottish astronomer Robert H. McNaught discovered a new comet and named it Happer's Comet in honor of the movie. Again, I love just the random like movies that have just this small, loyal following <laughs> that will do things like that. Speaking of loyal followings, in 2000, in an interview with Oprah during his presidential campaign, <laughs> Al Gore that. said that Local Hero was his favorite movie. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's that's yeah i'm sure yeah it's kind of it's kind of global warming related you know that's what i was thinking it's kind of a good environmental message environmental message yeah don't don't tear down the town to build a and that was the whole thing the kind of scene with ben that's kind of the environmental message he's just like this beach has been here for in my family for this long like things have come and gone business have come and gone but like if we do this the whole town like is never comes back 
Like he said, we have he's like yeah, the train stuff was changes. here. Industry changes, but the beach is always here. Once we do this, the beach is gone forever, mm-hmm. and the pe- and the people are gone forever, which means it can never grow back. And industry can die and leave people there, but it'll always it's it evolves. So it's yeah. in- that's an interesting point. Uh, also related to presidents, uh, Bill Forsyth wrote an op-ed in the Guardian in 2012 condemning. Uh, Donald Trump's shady purchase of land in the Scottish Highlands to build a golf course, saying in his op-ed that Trump had appropriated the wardrobe of his character Happer without possessing any of the humanity of the character. Wow, that's that's interesting, <laughs> man. Uh, after the premiere of the film, Forsyth received a letter which he still owns today. He's he's preserved. Mm-hmm. It was from uh, legendary filmmaker Michael Powell. who wrote him uh dear bill local hero i saw your film i was not prepared for such exquisite color photography not just the exteriors but the interiors and close-ups of people almost a forgotten art yeah i loved the film a lovely film eccentric and egocentric congrats for the first time i didn't like bert you let him go over the top and he started acting tut yours ever michael (laughs) <laughs> and coming, yeah, coming from people who like Pal and Pressburger, where they shot some of the most gorgeous. Yeah, when the guy, when the guy who made the red shoes tells you that you did a good job with cinematography. And black narcissists, <laughs> you know what? You know color cinematography. Holy shit! I just uh, love that. I've seen like Forsyth present that letter and be like, I just love that he had to get. He, he couldn't give me like he couldn't just give me praise. He had to get a little note in there too. Yeah, so that's not bad. If for your first movie where you you're like, you know what, I'm gonna try and make this one look good. Look good. <laughs> and Michael Powell writes you and says, I, I exquisite. Hey, yeah, it looked good. It looked good. Yeah, pretty pretty solid stuff. So, um, all right, let's let's pass out some awards. Okay. We're going to go with the Beatrice Strait Award for the actor-actress with limited scenes that kills it. Okay. Does Fulton Mc, uh, McKay, it's McKay, who plays Ben, who yes. plays ben, yeah, ben yeah. Would, would he count here? I think so. I think he would count for sure. Um, I would, and uh, along with the conversation we just had, uh, this was this was already my plan, but I think you'll agree with me. I would I would nominate Jennifer Black, who plays Stella. I think uh, she and just... And this one? Okay. Yeah. I think she just nails it in the... That's fair. I mean, that's really, like, she only has, like, two dialogue scenes. Uh, but but the rabbit scenes... Was it at least good? He's yeah, like, at least yeah, good. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was lovely. Wine sauce? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do love... It's the, it's the last shot of her when she's watching his helicopter go away. Mm-hmm. Like, after he doesn't say bye, you see him... You see her watching him... Um, yeah, I could. I I'll, I'll go either way. I I think I think I do like Fulton McKay. He might be a little bit too much. Um, and he has some great scenes. But I guess if you're talking about like who does a little, who does a lot with a little, mm-hmm. it would probably be Jennifer Black. Is the thing. Mm. I do want to shout out Fulton McKay for one thing. The um, he improvised the uh, the dropping of the sand when the sand falls out of his hand. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you get- oh, save you a couple pounds there. Yeah. That was that was funny. Um, huh. yeah, let's give it to Jennifer Black because because yeah, okay, Stella, she's the most she's the most beautiful woman that I've ever loved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Annie Potts X Factor Award, the supporting actor or actress that's the most memorable. I think this one's I think this one's a lock, but who are you it's going? A tough, it, it's, it, a, it, it's a lock, but it's also a tough category. If that if that is, can be a thing, because like is it because because here because here's like the top three. Yeah, it's Capaldi. Yeah, it's Dennis Lawson. Yeah, it's Burt Lancaster. Yeah, for me, for me, I would go Dennis Lawson. Yeah, I okay. think yeah, I think okay. it's just like it's funny because I saw an interview in the in the reunion. Uh, special that they did uh dennis lawson was like they were all kind of talking about how they got cast and dennis lawson was like yeah you know they were looking for a um they were looking for the like a like a handsome scotsman who was just like effortlessly cool so of course they came to me and i'm like yeah but but honestly it's that's the truth that's what that's how it works out (laughs) yeah it works um we're gonna be rich gonna be rich Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's tight. Like Capaldi and yeah. Lancaster, I'd be happy to give it to him, but Lawson yeah. is just so charismatic. I think in this role. Um, all right, Dennis Lawson, Annie Potts X Factor Award. Like like a separate thing. It's like it's not. I know Scottish. He's Irish, but like I would love to see like a Colin Farrell in this type role. You know what I mean? Mm. Like yeah. just may may it's jumping ahead with my with my casting. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't realize uh, that. I forgot. Yeah, I do want. I I didn't put this in in film facts because i don't know if it is a fact i mean it is a fact but i don't i don't know if it's actually connected if it's, if it's, but if it's yeah, yeah i do i do kind of love this uh so people may or may not know dennis lawson is star wars fans will know yeah uh dennis lawson is uncle to uh another star wars actor uh ewan mcgregor mm. um and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right yeah. in ewan mcgregor's directorial debut uh he cast peter Riegert to play his father and I like to think that's because Why? of. I like yeah. to think that's because a local hero, but I don't know. I, I I like tried looking for like an interview with Ewan McGregor where he's like, yeah, you know, he was in a movie with my uncle, but um, I couldn't find anything to confirm. Was that, was that American Pastoral? Was that the one? American that, Pastoral, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never saw that. That, that I mean, that came and went yeah. very quickly, sadly. Mm-hmm. Oh you, God, I think I I think I told you about that video I saw that time. Hugh McGregor's like signing autographs at like a Star Wars event, and this guy comes through and he has like a DVD of American Pastoral, and Hugh McGregor gets like so excited that somebody's asking him to sign American Pastoral, and the guy goes like, "Yeah, I just, I just," he was like, "Oh, have you seen this?" And he was like, "No, I just, I found it like a thrift store for like a dollar," <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, don't, don't tell you that. that." Oh man, mm. that's that man put his heart and soul into that. Yeah, directed by. All right, Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries this movie. Um, I think because the tone here is so difficult to pull off, I would have to go Bill Forsyth. Mhm. Yeah, um, 100%. It's yeah. um you know, it's it's so funny I think to you know, you generally kind of think of this idea as like, you know, with a with an auteur kind of, you know, with this with this director who comes in with this passion project and it's something he's like always wanted to do and i think this is so this is such a great example of like you know very very good producing in general but just like putnam just like putting this article in front of forsyth and being like i think this is a good match and then like it just comes so naturally Mm -hmm. i think with with forsyth to to know that this was kind of handed to him as like an idea 
and then he ran with it but but yeah he makes it 100 his and like i like we've been saying you know he just for him to have this ambition to kind of be like i'm not a visual director but i would like to be yeah and and this be the end product but yeah it's it's such a unique tone i don't think anyone else could or has ever really hit the tone of this movie and and that's all him i agree i agree with that all right final questions okay who's going in your modern remake okay i feel like again he's irish right? i don't want to count uh uh colin farrell as gordon but he could play mm. um gordon if need be i mean is is it mcgregor because <laughs> i was about to say i was like i feel like i just fed you an easy I mean, one, one. I was like, is it is it mcgregor like i think he could do i think it. that'd be fun yeah it's like it's him or david Tennant. you pick at uh, mcgregor mcgregor okay yeah i think i think it'd be fun we haven't seen him in a role like that in a while i think he has the ability to do that type of role mm-hmm. um so yeah for let's see who can we get here for these characters i'll do you probably weren't even going to cast this one but every time i watch this movie I I look at the the therapist, the the aggression therapist or whatever, and I'm like, is that Brett Gelman in like a time machine? Like it looks exactly <laughs> yeah. like him. Just like almost like a little more Italian for some reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? An Italian version of him. Let's see who who's a who's an actor that I could see stuck in a. Oh, you know he you know it'd be good for Lancaster. Hmm. Richard Jenkins. Oh yeah. I've got Richard Jenkins on that for some reason. All right, I back that. Like, I mean, unless you do a like, I know Lancaster's a star, so maybe it's maybe you need a more of a star. I'm not saying Richard's not a star in my book. Um, like, I mean, I thought about Hanks. If you want to do Tom Hanks, is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I I I Hanks popped up into mind as well, but I think the I think what works so well with Lancaster here is like it's somebody that you're like expecting to be an asshole like you know it's like based off of Lan- <laughs> lancaster this is, brought about, this. this is what we're talking about groundhog day is why he was like happy yeah. he didn't do it because you know if he was an asshole yeah like lancaster yeah everyone kind of you know names bring the baggage of their previous roles and so you know you yeah. see lancaster here and you're like all right what am, am i getting like sweet smell of success <laughs> like like what what yeah. am i getting here and then for it to be a kind of like goofy astronomy nerd is like nothing we've ever seen from him before and that's part of the joke i mean or do you do like michael keaton mm. i you know i'm never gonna say no to michael keaton i think he's a guy who could play that like you could see him being i could see keaton being obsessed with astronomy mm-hmm. i think it's possible we'll go keaton on that one so we got keaton and we got keaton there we got Ian mcgregor as uh gordon do we have a a, a Danny is David Tennant. Danny is the question, <laughs> or is he a little, too, a little too older? Who's a younger man? I feel like the the Doctor Who fans would freak out if you had Tennant playing Capaldi's role. Oh, Tenet, oh, oh yeah. Oh wow, you're right. I I didn't even think about that. Wow, it shows you how much I know about <sighs> Doctor Who. Um, I don't know. Any, I don't know who are you. all the all the young guys right now are are. Uh, or Irish. Or do you do it? Go with other Doctor Who. Uh, I butcher the name. I'm sorry. Nakuti uh, Gatwa, who is now the new Doctor, is also Scottish. Oh, is he? Yeah, I just read. I like him. Yeah. Full doc- I mean, replace Doctor Who with Doctor Who. Doctor actor. Who that with makes Doctor sense. Who. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's go with that. Nakuti right. Gatwa. I apologize if I butchered that again. 
Um, okay, so now we need we need a lead actor, and and maybe mm-hmm. if you want if you want to go, I mean, if you wanted to, uh, for Stella, do you like Karen Gillan? Mm-hmm. Is the thing a little bit younger than Hugh McGregor, but you know, it still works out. Um, so Peter Wright, who, Peter Riegert. Who is who is our modern day Peter Riegert? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw two names at you. They're a little bit older. One 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 uh, is the bigger star, and it might not work. I'll, I'll throw out Paul Rudd. Mm. And then I'll throw like out J- then I'll throw out Jason Segel. Oh, ooh, I do like I like Jason Segel a lot. Actually, I didn't think of that I, one. I think that'd be good. Mm. Jason Segel. Ewan McGregor, uh, Nakuti Gatwa, and um, who we have for the, for the older actor. I'm blanking now all of a sudden. Um, Richard Jenkins. Or, no, no, no. No, we, Michael we, Keaton. Michael Keaton. There we go. Sorry. Yeah. All right. That's a cat and Karen Gillan. Yep. All right. I'll, I, I, that's a very Scottish with them with American. There I think, you go. I think yeah, I think you can't, you can't make this one and not be Scottish. I, you're gonna, yeah. People are going to riot. Um, right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so does this film fit with any other genres? That was a great question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is a movie that we, it's purely in this genre. Um, I mean, is this an environmental movie is, is, is one question. That mm-hmm. I had. Yeah, not, I think it's. I think it's kind of you know, it's it's an environmental movie. It's an anti-commercialism mm-hmm. uh, movie, but but very subtle with both of them. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty firmly planted in the stuck in a small town genre. So let's let's ask that. How does it fit in with the genre for this month? Well, it's interesting after been because I've watched because we're pre- we're prepping for our Patreon episode. We're covering a triple feature of <laughs> small town movies. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's funny looking at these and comparing the 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 similarities that pop up of how a lot of them that you start to see Groundhog Day included, Doc Hollywood. We talk we're talking about Tu Wong Fu on the Patreon. It's how they how our main character adopts elements of the of the town. Mm-hmm. Or becomes accustomed to the the uh, routines and the characters within the town. Yeah, and it's the knowing when the motorcycle is going by, knowing the guy who's hammering the roof, knowing the people who are out there working on the, on the docks, trying to get the guy to, that's painting the boat. You know, when he comes in with the little dollar sign logo, yeah. and he's like, "Yeah, hey, maybe we'll put this on the boat." And the guy's like, yeah. mm, "No, no, no." <laughs> what about what about the S for the no? No. no, no, um, where they they in, at first there's there's always pushback from our lead character, and then there's acceptance is the thing, mm-hmm. and, and the sweaters, the sweaters, um, the acceptance uh of the people of the customs, and where where hate turns into hate or disdain turns to appreciation and love, mm-hmm. and there's always this there should be some sort of at least in this type of genre at least this this type of movie because they when we do other genres in this and this film it might not always take into account here but this idea there's with this type more dramedy or comedy drama has somewhat of a bittersweetness at the end not bittersweet but like the characters have to leave in some mm-hmm. way 
but they don't want to now. They have to want to be heartbroken by leaving. And that could mm -hmm. set up either for a return or for I'll never forget this place as long as I live type thing. Yeah. Because it became such a, a part of them for however long or short it was is the thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important storytelling choice. I think it's it could be a little too easy to be like, well, all my problems were solved here, so I'm just going to stay here, you know, yeah. which is what a lot of the kind of modern, the, the Hallmark Christmas movies and, and, and whatnot do. It's like, oh, well, this is so much better than the big city. And it's like, is, is that, are you just kind of running from your problems in the big city now? And what you need to do is take what you learned here and apply it to the, uh, yeah. to the big city. But, um, yeah, yeah, and I, I think I, like like you said, we I've, we've been kind of marathoning these now to get ready for the Patreon episode, and and I brought it up in what worked, but I yeah, I think this one's really interesting within this genre for being one where like everybody, nobody really has the answers. Everybody yeah. kind of learns. It's it's not it's it. So many of these is like one one person or one group teaching someone else how to be and then solving all their problems for them and, and everybody comes into this one kind of with the wrong viewpoint mm -hmm. and needing to learn so it, it is it is unique in that way and and you know as, as as my friend said when he recommended this one to me it does predate doc hollywood so it yeah. um it beats out some of those tropes that i think doc hollywood kind of established Tank. but but yeah. are, are really kind of hammered home but but yeah i think like you said the the local color is such a huge part of the genre and and this one does i think really well with it again it's it's like with this i think of gordon is one where it's like oh he's the accountant and and he's the the innkeeper and the bartender and the taxi driver and then i think of like the in doc hollywood where it's like the the judge is the guy with the fence and it's just it's all these different kind of things or if it's too wong fu where it's like this person runs the the boarding house in the small town, this person, it's like everyone has this specific mm -hmm. job and they just all get by and get along is the thing in some way. And I think too, it's again, it's like how I think one thing about small towns in general is how some people come to that place. And I think this one, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the priest who's like, Oh yeah, I'm African. I just, I came here for this and now I'm here. Now mm -hmm. I'm here. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm not Scottish. I'm not Scottish. <laughs> I just found myself here as a thing. So there's something about that too, where it's like the characters who are from somewhere, like Doc Hollywood kind of shows this with the, with the, with the love interest where like she went away and then came back basically because she was, she didn't miss the town. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's something about that with the town people of like kind of how they are and, and how they're a very, they have a very like routine life basically. And these characters come in and can sometimes break that routine or can just reinforce that routine. Yeah. Is a thing. Well, cool. Is that, that's it on local that's hero. It. We've covered local hero. How do you feel? I feel great. Okay. You know, I didn't, I didn't call this out. One more thing. What worked? Not a dire straits fan. Big Mark Knopfler as a film composer fan. <laughs> love the score here. Love uh, princess bride. Princess bride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah I walk agree. of life i can take it or leave it but but going home hell i'm, I'm in every time <laughs> uh, um so yeah so two things next episode david will be on here uh, and we'll be talking about kind of a, a movie from this genre that's a very different genre 
uh, and that's kind of a neo western mm-hmm. with Bad Day at Black Rock with uh, Spencer Tracy, Ernest Borgnine, and is Robert Ryan? Robert Ryan's mm-hmm. also in this, yeah. Yeah, um, Robert Ryan's. And, and Robert Ryan. I was like, I was like, it's been a few years since I've seen it, so I was like, Robert Ryan's in this, I know. And Lee Marvin. That's why I was, I was like, I was like, is it Robert Ryan or Lee Marvin that's in it? But they're both in it. Is why I was getting confused. <laughs> a bunch of bad dudes. A bunch in of this bad one. guys in this one. Um, but Dave and I will be talking about it next week on the podcast and on the Patreon this month. The first part, or one, I don't know the order yet, but Thomas and I will be doing a triple feature mm-hmm. of Stuck in a Small Town movies with Doc Hollywood, Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, and Cars. Three movies um, that have the same plot line. Yeah, we we saw a TikTok. I have to find when we do the episode. I'll credit the the person who made it, but they're like Cars and Two Wong Fu or the exact same movie and i'm like well that's interesting because cars is the exact same movie as dark talk hollywood so, so <laughs> we, we need just to, we need to look into this yeah this kind of triple feature of of how they follow these characters and where they're coming from but it's this idea of city folks getting stuck in a small town and then trying to decide they should go to this go to the big city again or whatever uh but all different type again different versions one's kind of more of a mainstream comedy one's more while still a mainstream comedy had kind of a uh a almost a, a very ahead of its time movie in in mm-hmm. the period with it being a queer film with thanks for everything or to Wung fu and then you have an animated film about cars so <laughs> it'll be an interesting triple feature of that that'll be coming out soon and then david and i'll be talking about elizabeth town david's from kentucky so we'll we'll have a conversation about kentucky i assume on elizabeth town so mm-hmm. stay tuned for those this month again thank you for so much so much for your if you sign up to our patreon we have the one dollar five dollar ten dollar tiers um, get more exclusive content and help us continue to make the show uh, as it is. And we thank everyone who's kind of supported us in that in that venture. And so, yeah, that's all we have for this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments. And if you're a new listener or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to do so to stay up to all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us for your preferred podcast platform. I'm, you know, I'm more of a telex man. So, <laughs> you know, if I just had a day on the machines, I'd have five stars from every review. But, I, you know, I just I yeah. can't. So just need you guys to help me out on this one. Five stars. On Spotify, you can't do a review, but you can do five stars. Yeah. And then on Apple Podcasts. Do it, do it, for, do it for Happer. He loves stars. He loves stars. He loves stars can't yet yeah, go look go look up in the sky and if you and if you see any stars just give us five stars oh god know. it's red it went red everywhere <laughs> but that helps us kind of spread the word about the show gain more exposure and we hope to introduce them to more people and all that good stuff and finally don't forget to like and follow us on facebook twitter i'm sorry x formerly known as twitter instagram letterbox and tiktok and thomas as always thank you for joining me Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.